You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today's cool fact of the day is about cookie dough. And it's not a cool fact of the day that you'll probably like because they just found out that eating raw cookie dough can make you pretty sick. And it turns out it's not the raw eggs. In fact, raw eggs usually won't make you sick, especially if you wash them before you crack them. This is a substance called E. coli. It's a bacteria. And there's been several outbreaks in the US and Canada over the last couple of years from people eating raw cookie dough, which has uncooked flour in it. And it's funny because the CDC could not figure out how this happened until they finally heard a bunch of people say, oh yeah, that's right. I had some raw cookie dough. So your best bet is, well, cook your cookies if you're going to eat them. And better yet, don't use flour in them, at least not wheat flour, because it has all sorts of stuff in it you don't, that you don't really want. Or you could just eat one of the brand new bulletproof chocolate chip cookie dough collagen protein bars that are the best bar we've made in all of history that tastes exactly like real cookie dough, but they're good for you and they taste amazing and all that kind of stuff. So if you don't know about the new flavor, you do now. And sadly, no raw cookie dough for you, but there's all sorts of reasons you can do better besides the sugar, the flour, and God knows what else. All right. If you don't know this, you can head on over to bulletproof.com slash YouTube and catch parts of the show on video. And if you wanted to leave a review, you can go to bulletproof.com slash iTunes. It'll take you right to the Apple page so you can say, hey, this show is really cool. And now that I've told you those cool things that you really wanted to know, it's time for today's guest. Today's guest is Dr. Taz Bhatia, just known as Dr. Taz. And she's a nationally recognized physician who specializes in functional medicine, but she came at it as a former emergency room doctor. She's been on the Today Show, Dr. Oz, The Doctors Live, and is a very well respected and recognized, I'd say, figure in the field of women's health and just health in general. I, I really want to talk with her today because in addition to traditional Western stuff, she's looked at Chinese medicine and acupuncture and put all this together in a new book called Superwoman Rx. Uh, Dr. Taz, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thrilled to be here and to finally meet you. This is amazing. I, I kind of have a thing for women who are former emergency room doctors turned functional medicine because, well, I married <laughs> one, but you know. <laughs> we have. <laughs> I love it. But it, it does give you a really unique perspective. I, I find that uh, doctors who've, who've seen what happens after a car accident and have to really get in at these rapid decision-making times have a different perspective than say a general practitioner. And when you make that transition from, you know, how do we save this life right now? You, you amass this knowledge and this, this kind of visceral sense that then carries over when you start doing more of the functional stuff. So the path you've walked, I think makes you a really interesting guest. And I wanted to know, why did you decide to leave the world of emergency medicine and move into the functional world? You know, I think everything was a fortunate and accidental journey. I didn't plan for any of it. I don't think I really even planned for emergency medicine. I think I just loved action and I loved procedures and I kind of had that adrenaline rush and functioned off of it. And so I thought the emergency room was a really great fit, but it was actually, you know, my life veered in different directions. I was, I was going to actually do ICU medicine or intensive care or critical care medicine because there's so much thought. If you think about it with critical care, there's so much physiology that you have to get through. There's so much that you have to think through in terms of detail, but also the big picture. And my mind sort of thrived on that. But what eventually happened was that I came back to Atlanta from residency training. I took an ER job for a year. I got recruited into a higher position within that ER job. 
And one thing just led to another. And I found myself in the ER for almost a decade and, and stayed and never went back into the ICU fellowship. So I love the ER. I thought it was great work. It's great medicine. You see everything, you do everything, you meet everyone. You know, the ER is a great equalizer, so to speak. If you ever want to see how a democracy functions, come to the emergency room and <laughs> get a quick window and human behavior and how it equalizes everybody pretty quickly. So I loved it. I mean, I thought it was amazing work and I enjoyed every moment of it. And really honestly had no intention of leaving except for the fact that I started to get sick and I started to have more health issues that were there probably through med school and that were there in residency, but started to escalate as I did night shifts and, you know, flip flop my schedules and worked, you know, one to one or seven P to seven A and then turned around and worked seven A to seven P and, and played that game for a number of years. So everything just kind of escalated. So it started with subtle things. I was losing hair. I was breaking out. I was gaining weight. And then kind of the bigger things where I was getting super fatigued and I was having achy joints. And then, you know, I'm a high energy person. And all of a sudden I can't get out of bed in the morning. And, you know, I'm like pulling the covers over me and I don't want to go out anymore. And I'm young and I'm single and all this other stuff. So, you know, it just was, it just was not, my life was not progressing the way I wanted it to. And I was not the person that I knew I needed to be. But again, we're so disconnected from ourselves. It actually took my mom and my husband and the people around me, I was dating at the time, to be like, hey, something's wrong with you. You know, like, you know, I can see your scalp and you don't look the way you used to look. You don't have the energy. My mom was terrified and was in my ear constantly. She's like, something's wrong. Go get checked. And so I did finally. And I went on that journey of getting checked and went to doctor after doctor. And, you know, everybody had an opinion and had a medication, quite honestly, of something that I needed to take. And by the end of probably a year's worth of doctor visits and the quote unquote best doctors in the country and all that other good stuff. I had a list of seven different prescription medicines I was supposed to take. And with the addition of the eighth, which was a diuretic that also drops your blood pressure and helps with androgens, I ended up passing out as I was driving one day and got into a car wreck. And really at that moment, it was just like, I realized how close I was to not being here anymore and how I needed to take responsibility and really try to figure this thing out on my own and not kind of hand it over to everybody else around me. So I think it was that moment, you know, I talk to people all the time and they have a wake up moment or an aha moment or a, you know, something that calls them into action. And I think that was my call to action that if I don't do something, no one's going to fix this for me. And it is my responsibility to try to put the pieces of this together. I've been gifted with a medical education and gifted with the ability to think through all of this stuff. So why can't I figure myself out? And so I spent the next kind of three or four years, quite honestly, you know, studying integrative medicine, functional medicine, holistic medicine, Chinese medicine, nutrition, you know, acupuncture, all of it. And over that time, finally healed myself. And of course, once you start, people are like, well, what are you doing? You know, tell me what you took. Tell me what you take. You know, why are you eating that? And I realized, you know, there's something here. And my husband finally was the one, he's like, if you want to make this anything more than a hobby, you need to do it. It can't be curbside consult all the time. You need to kind of actually practice it and live it and breathe it. So with his encouragement, you know, we opened in the back of his dental office because we thought that this was going to be teeny tiny and small <laughs> and I would do it two days a week and I would continue my ER shifts because I had no intention of leaving the ER. And wow did we undershoot because pretty soon I'm doing acupuncture like in his dental chairs he's walking in and there are patients all over the place I've taken over the space and so he's like you know a year goes by and he's like this is not going to work anymore this has to be this has to be a proper medical facility so that's really where things shifted and it was no longer something I did on the side and it became a mission and a purpose and life's work and 
a team and a company and all the other things in between. So it's been this crazy, unexpected journey that I didn't ever think or think through or plan for my life. It just sort of organically happened. There's a feeling of of helplessness that that kind of happens when a normal person's like, well, I, I used to feel good. Now I don't feel good. I don't know what to do. But it must have been worse for you because you're like, I can you know pull your, I can use a chest expander, rip your 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 chest apart, and massage your heart to what? bring you back to life, and look inside your brain, and you know all all the ER doctor powers. And you're like, but I can't get out of bed in the morning, and I'm supposed to do this. Was that really a painful thing to to, to face? Yeah, it was horrible. And it was horrible on multiple levels. It was horrible because, like you're saying, I know how to do everything, right? I know how to take care of everything from a cough and a cold all the way to major trauma, but I can't heal myself. And then I think what was the most uncomfortable and telling is that I'm treating patients in the ER. And as my hair loss worsened, and as I started to get worse, you know, unfortunately, the ER also has regulars, you know, as you know, like mm-hmm. people that come in over and over again, like they started staring at my scalp, they would no longer make eye contact with me, but they were looking up here at my scalp, or a patient would randomly comment, you've really picked up some weight in the last few months, what's going on, you know, so these little comments and these looks and these glances that I as a once pretty confident woman was now getting, I mean, it just completely makes you fall apart, essentially, you know, and it's like my self esteem went downhill. And then you start to question everything, you question your judgment, you question your medical expertise, you question, you start questioning things that, you know, are second nature, second hand to you. So it not only affected me intellectually, but it affected me emotionally, it affected my self esteem, it affected how I performed at work, and it affected my social life as well. So I mean, it had, you know, these little and I see this in my patients today, these little things that become cumulative, and they grow and they crescendo and they escalate, all of a sudden become this storm that you're just trying to fight, and you can't see your way out of it. And you're just looking for some sort of guidance and somebody to help you. And even, even me, even now, honestly, to this day, I still need outside guidance, I can't do this thing on my own. You know, I need a team and I need people and I need guidance and I need a community and I need to be connected. Because none of us are meant to fight this fight alone, definitely. They sort of say that the doctors are the worst patients. <laughs> and yeah, right there. <laughs> That's me. The worst patient. Still, uh, worst my, patient. My wife, uh, Dr. Lana, uh, after, our, after our first child, she clearly had a thyroid condition. I'm like, I'm not a doctor, but I kind of know a thing or two. And I told her for a year before she finally consented to get checked and had you know vanishingly low levels. And magically, you know, it came back on, but I think it was, it was the, you know, I, I already kind of know everything. So kudos to you for hitting that point. You're like, you know what? I am going to recruit a team because now you become the most powerful patient and you have a chance to learn because you have this huge body of knowledge that you can take, you know, when you're doing acupuncture, you just, you have a different lens, uh, which means that you can, uh, you can translate things in a way that might not otherwise be possible. But you chose to write a book that's very specifically aimed at women. And I look to write books that, that, are, that work for, for both genders. And there's pros and cons to doing both of that. Like I want this bulletproof state of resilience to be something that's applicable to everyone. But women and men are very different psychologically, uh, emotionally, on average anyway. And, uh, and certainly biologically, there's a few differences. <laughs> so when you chose to write your book, why did you choose to write it for women? In the Eastern systems of medicine, and in older systems of medicine that revered and held on to this notion that the two genders are indeed equal, but incredibly different. And they're different in terms of 
anatomy and structure and function, but they're also very different in terms of emotion and intuition and sense and sensibility and all these other things. So having been schooled in that, you know, and sort of ingrained, you know, I can see my Chinese medical professor and, you know, and wagging his like hand at me, you have very bad chi, you have very bad chi, you know, like sort of, <laughs> you know, sort of, you know, listening to him and you woman, you need more body fat, you know, like, you know, all this other stuff and listening to that. And even like my heritage, which is Indian and hearing those guys in my head, you know, and all the ways they think about and perceive women versus men, like they don't want their women going out and doing, you know, marathons. They think that's the most ridiculous thing. They think that's so stressful to a female body and that's going to cause hormone imbalances and this and that and all that other stuff. So all these voices, you know, are in my head. And then I opened this practice and I wanted the practice to focus partly because of my life and partly because of the way I've been trained. I wanted it to really focus on the synergy and the connection between a woman and a child and how in Ayurvedic and Chinese medicine, you don't separate that unit. That unit is so symbiotic and the issues of one relate to the issues of the other and vice versa. And it is such a unique story when it comes to women, and it can't be the same story as the story of men. And I think it's the same thing when it comes to our health, because what here's what I noticed over and over again. And now we're you know eight or nine years in, we're twelve thousand women in essentially in the practice, and so I've had this opportunity to engage in dialogue with women over and over again over the last you know eight or nine years. And here's what motivated me to write this book for them, for all the women that I meet, is that for us, a health issue. Just like everything else in our life, a health issue is never confined to a health issue. Here's what happens to us. When we have a health issue, whatever it is, whether we have a hormone issue or we lose hair or we have cancer or we have an autoimmune disease, it reverberates out into multiple people's lives. It usually affects our children. It affects the family. It turns around and it affects the community. And more importantly, a health issue for a woman you know, sort of impacts every decision she makes moving forward because she is typically the caretaker. The woman is typically the caretaker in any situation, no matter what you think about, you know, the role of men today in parenthood and everything else, the woman is still the primary caretaker, whether we like it or not. And so when she goes down, a whole lot of other people go down too. And if you expand that and think about a city or a country or a world stage, when the women go down, everyone goes down. I mean, I today, I'm, I'm trying not to be political, but today the whole issue in the Middle East, you know, as I sit back and observe some of that stuff, they've suppressed their women. Let's be clear. You know, those women don't have a voice. And as they continue to not have a voice, you continue to see that region of the world disintegrate. So let's bring it back to health. Same idea. When a woman in a family has an issue, you see that entire family disintegrate. So I wanted, you know, as I'm thinking forward and I'm like, I want to change the world. I want to make an impact. I want to make an impact and really shift everything forward. Well, we can't unless we empower our women and we can't empower women and talk women's empowerment until women understand how to take care of themselves. Because typically what happens to them is they're too busy spinning all over the place, but not turning inward and taking care of themselves and understanding themselves. And instead they go down a path of wrong choices, wrong medicines for them, wrong supplements for them, wrong food for them that in turn impacts their hormones, that in turn impacts their brain and will impact who they choose to marry, what type of work they do. It's almost like a domino. And I can play that domino in any exam room on any given day. So I just feel really passionate that it's critical for women to understand themselves and save themselves heartache and misery and going down the wrong path or a path that's really not meant for them. I hope I answered wow. your question. That was that was <laughs> profound and, and awesome. And I 
When, oh, my, like I went on a big circle there. <laughs> no, I, that was that was incredible. My my first book was actually about uh, fertility because uh, Lana was infertile when I met her, and I uh, I used some of the anti aging stuff that I know and some of her medical knowledge. We put that together and ended up doing all the shopping and cooking for like four years to make this you know high fat and all these things that did result in us uh, being able to have a couple of kids at around age forty. Uh, without IVF, and it became her her practice now, which is which is really cool. But you look at all the all the research and the science around how women are different than men. You look at all the research that's been done in medicine for the past two hundred years. The vast majority of it, well, we tested men and we just assumed women were the same. Exactly. But it's not biologically true. And you also end up with this this interesting perspective where some medicines do different things depending on on what what sex you are uh, but then the the language of a lot of health stuff it is not written for women and i i kind of laughed because when i read through the book you're like here's your five power types you've got gypsy girl boss lady savvy chick earth mama and nightingale and and i can tell you i had a hard time connecting with your content uh from that i'm, I'm like am i an earth mama i i don't really know no uh, so <laughs> <laughs> but I, I could tell, you know, when, when Lana looks at that, she says, oh, yeah, I totally get this. So there's a whole language there that I'm not even going to pretend to understand. But can you <laughs> tell me what is a gypsy girl in your book? Like, tell our listeners. <laughs> yeah. So, again, the whole concept of these types, you know, they have fun names. And I wanted to make it a little bit lighthearted so women yeah. could relate to it some. Because we all want to identify with some type in general. But these types are are really taking everything I know, taking everything I know about you know, Ayurvedic medicine, Chinese medicine, hormone types, nutritional types, personality and emotional types, which all these Eastern systems of medicine match up together. And therefore you have this hormone condition. They see it all as blended. So really what I wanted to do is take all that information. And what I found is that, you know, as you match up the lab values, people were falling into, into distinct categories. And so these types are all a merge of that information. So let's talk about the gypsy girl and who she is and what that means. And, and you know, to me, it's that quintessential creative. That's really who I think she is. I mean, it's that person who's in my exam room and they're the night owl. You know, they love to create. They love to either write music or write poetry or write books or, you know, they're doing something or they're designers, you know, of some kind or the other. But it's that classic line, Dr. Taz, I do my best work when I'm up late at night. And what I found with those types is I started digging in and, and learning more about each of these women, no matter who they were, is that they had the same medical issues. You know what I mean? They all seem to have problems with anxiety. They all seem to have a tendency to have a little bit of ADHD or inattention issues. They all had chronic insomnia or poor sleep hygiene. And what those habits had done over time was then affect their adrenals, which then in turn had other repercussions. And so you could see how the quintessential creative who needs quiet and needs space and needs sometimes darkness to make whatever great works of art or literature or music or whatever they're doing, that same gift can be their greatest weapon at the same exact time. So how powerful would it be for me to tell you, if you were a gypsy girl, for example, that, hey, you know, here are your gifts. This is what you're really good at, but this is what's going to burn you out. So here's what you need to watch. You need to watch X, Y, and Z. You know, you need to make sure you can be creative like three nights out of the week, but the rest of the four nights, I need you to sleep consistently. I know that you're going to have adrenal issues. So let's make sure you're on a diet and on a supplement supplement regimen that supports those adrenals, you know, and I know you're going to have a tendency to have a lot of issues with focus. So here's what you do for that. And if you trained them and practice a preventive approach, you know, once you know what type you are, then you could save yourself 
from all the different diseases that come down the road where many of the gypsy girls will have something like a full-blown, you know, nervous breakdown, or they'll have things where, you know, they have severe brain fog to where they have to quit a job or quit working or things like that. So, so again, the gypsy girl to me is the, is that quintessential creative, that person who is driven by intuitive and artistic energy. I always say, and I talked about it in the book that they live somewhere else. They live in a different space sometimes, but the biggest challenge for them is bringing them back, helping them connect to their bodies and understand how they have to balance that creative energy with their health and what their particular type needs versus a different type. All right. I'm going to tell you a story that will make no yeah. sense until I get to the end of it. So you got to bear with me for a second. Okay. Got it. When I was about 15 or 16, I was pretty much Asperger's, like zero social skills, lots of brain inflammation. And I got a job at an amusement park. And it was the most boring job ever. I mean, a little ticket counter thing, like selling tickets to a water slide. But the only thing to read in here was a copy of Young Miss or Young Teen or something like that. And I'm like, this is a magazine no self-respecting teenage boy would ever be caught reading, but I'm so bored. Yeah. So I opened it to the article that said, here's how to tell if a boy is hitting on you. And so I read this, I'm like, this is the instruction manual for hitting on girls. So I'd like read this and then I would do it to the next girl I sold a ticket to. And I'm like, oh my God, this totally works. So- I accept what you're saying, that there's probably an instruction manual for types of women uh, <laughs> about how to take care of yourself as well. And as a guy, I'm probably not going to connect with it, but that there might be value to me uh, as a husband and as someone who works with women all the time to at least recognize uh, these type of things. Because if you know this about your partner, it means you can do a better job of supporting them and providing the framework uh, that they need. Uh, so that you know they can in turn do a better job of being a, your other half, you know the, the other part of you in your relationship, uh, so that you can better support each other. It, when a woman reads through the book and finds out you know, if she's a gypsy girl or a boss lady or any of these other cool names, uh, you sort of talk about their their weaknesses. But is there a way, or weaknesses and strengths? We'll, we'll say you know, how to support yourself, how to prevent what's likely to happen if you if you don't know about it. Is there a way to build that into their uh, into their life so that they can get what they need from their job, from their partners, you know, from their friends? Is that level of advice is it even written anywhere? Um, you know, we didn't go into relationships and how, and we want to. You know, there's just a lot already in the book, and I thought it was a little bit too much. But I'll tell you a quick story, and then I'll answer that question. So, you know, this book was written for women. And it's my daughter who actually came up with the title, the Superwoman RX. She was just like, Mom, people call you a superwoman. Why don't you give them a, a handbook as to how to how to do the same? And I'm like, wait a minute, she might be onto something. <laughs> so, you know, she's brilliant and wonderful, but we have our issues. She's 10. So the book comes in and we get the first copy and she's going through it and she starts to do the test. And I stop her. I'm like, no, 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 don't do the test. This is for this is for women. This is not for little girls, you know? And she's like, but I want to do the test. And so I stopped her again. And she and so I took it from her and I'm like, well, you've answered the majority of the questions that you could. So let me just see where you score. She scored as a gypsy girl. <laughs> and the reason that that's significant is because she is somebody who is in that space all the time. And I'm having to constantly pull her out of it. She loves design. She loves fat. You know, she has that eye, all that other good stuff. And so me as her mother, I have a little bit of that gypsy in me, but I'm not all that, you know, it was an instant aha moment. It's like, oh my gosh, this is who she is. This is how I then need to communicate with her. So a sequel to this book could be, you know, if you have a friend, a daughter, a son, or whoever, who falls into one of these types, how, how does that work in the workplace or in a family or things like that? That. And it is interesting because now that we've all in our 
company, you know, everyone's read the book and done the test and all that stuff. It's like, Oh, total gypsy. That's why you didn't make your deadline. So I get it. You know what I mean? You know, and the other one's like, Oh, okay. Look at your boss lady self coming through. So, I mean, again, you know, it's all tongue in cheek a little bit, but there are patterns and it can help you understand the people around you and also help that help you to understand their motivations and, and who may thrive in different situations. So going back to my daughter, you know, she does music. She does a lot of other creative. She has a lot of different creative outlets to balance the academic stuff that she's signed up for. But guess where she finds the most happiness and the most peace? It's horseback riding because it's calming. It's soothing. She's got anxiety. And it's the only place where everything just comes to a complete quiet and stand still. And she and the horse are focused on each other. So again, these are ways that we can be better parents. I mean, I just think it's a great way to understand who you're around and understand their motivations and behaviors and helps you to interact with them so much better. I joke too in the book, one more story, personal story, like my husband, I call the earth mama. He's the male, male version of the earth mama, you know, total nurture, all about me and the kids and like our success and what we want and all that other good stuff. But what do earth mamas do? They never observe their boundaries. They never observe how they need to take care of themselves. They're too busy taking care of and nurturing everybody else. So there are male equivalents to some of these types. And sure enough, the medical conditions that go with earth mamas match what's going on with him, you know? So it's interesting. And knowing that about him and knowing the way I am, I'm like, okay, this is where I need to be like, no, 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 you need to go do this for yourself, or I need to schedule it for him so that he checks out and takes care of himself because he's not naturally inclined to do those things for himself. So again, so even within our own family, even me having written the book, there's so much that I learned just by taking the same methodology and applying it to the people around me. So which one are you? I'm a savvy chick. So I am that intermediate type. I'm part gypsy, part boss lady. So I flex between the two depending on the project or the venture or whatever else is going on. Most savvy chicks, it's a lot of entrepreneurs. It's a lot of visionaries because we spend part of the time dreaming and imagining and concocting and all that other stuff. But then we spend the other part of our time trying to implement and trying to make things happen. So I find myself, I find it's true to me and it's true in terms of how I run my business as well, that I'm constantly dancing between those two worlds of innovation and then operations and innovation and operations. And at any given moment, one may be stronger than the other. It seems like you might have offended a few people with what you're doing. Let's see. You've taken some Ayurveda, some Chinese medicine, like many different but distinct traditions. And you've, I would say, melded them together in a new, in a new lens, which is really cool. But then you've also ascribed that to medical conditions. So you've kind of pissed off your, your MD colleagues and you might have pissed off some of the different schools of Eastern <laughs> stuff as well. Uh, but you've come up with something new and really interesting. Uh, how has the response been? Yeah, the response has actually been overwhelmingly positive. You know, yeah. there are, I'm surprised, actually, I was waiting for more eggs thrown at me, so to speak. For me, why would you not, you know, put everything together? You know, sure. I have such a unique vantage point. You know, I've spent time in all of these worlds. And as you learn the language, it's just like learning five languages and you realize the root of all of them is Latin. You know, just it's the same thing. You know, as you learn the systems and you learn the languages, essentially everyone's trying to get to the same point and to the same message. And you get amazing results when you put it all together. So we should all be open and we should be integrating everything together and, and putting it all and mixing it up like in a big blender and then spitting out the most effective pieces of each of them. Because as to be a hundred percent honest, and here I go again, I'm going to tick people off, <laughs> but each one as a standalone 
has weaknesses, right? I mean, if you just did Chinese medicine, there are limitations to that. If you just did Ayurveda, I know for a fact there are limitations to that. I have 20 stories to go with, with each of those. And if you just did conventional medicine, there are absolutely limitations to that. But the beauty is when you take the best of each of those and you put them all together and you marry the nutritional knowledge and the energetic knowledge and the hormone knowledge from all of them, you have a really powerful, inexpensive, fool in your hand to affect change and to revamp the entire medical model. Now, it's going to take me a long time to convince my conventional medicine colleagues that I that this is the way to go, but I do think it's the future. I think the future of medicine is to embrace it all and to put it all together and use everything we've got to give patients results and to help people see their full potential. Uh, that's how evolution and sometimes revolution happen. You you mix and meld and, and see what comes out of it. And it's, it's a pretty revolutionary thought to say, look, these personality characteristics drive biology and that just knowing that, that you know some of your potential weaknesses and some of your areas of strength and that you can then help to fill in uh, the areas where you're likely to have a hard time. I, I think that's really creative and it's not something I've come across before. And so just congratulations on having the, the wisdom and courage to go out there and put it together that way. Have you run this past, say, uh, someone from a, a traditional Chinese medicine perspective and sort of shown this to them? Do they get sort of the, aha, oh, this is interesting? Or is it sort of like, well, hold on, I, I don't know about that. What's the response you get? Well, I get, I get two responses. First of all, there's a lot of joy that there's awareness to their respective fields. And, you know, when you have a doctor coming in and talking about this, there's a certain amount of legitimizing of those fields too. So I think there's a lot of excitement about that. But then as with all things, you know, there starts to be the ego and the territorial piece of like, you know, well, this is how we would do this. And this is what we were saying about that. You know, I, I get a mixed response overall. Overall, it's been positive, quite honestly. I think cool. everyone wants to be at the table, especially in our world, right, in the integrative functional medicine world. I think everyone wants to be at the same table and to move this whole thing forward. Now, my conventional colleagues, we're still working on them. You know, they still still ask, what is integrative medicine? <laughs> so <laughs> they have a little bit more of a journey to go on, which is okay. But at the end of the day, people are getting results. People are getting better. They're getting answers. They are having such amazing stories. And even the feedback from the book and all the emails and the, the social media notifications that I get after people have read the book, they, I, I have no regrets. You know, I want, I want to push the envelope. I want you to be thinking about this stuff. And I do think that for everyone, we need to be understanding how our actions and our behavior is driven by our biology and our chemistry. And when that is off, we aren't going to go down the same path that we would have chosen otherwise. I mean, there's a, that movie Sliding Doors with Gwyneth Paltrow. I don't know if you remember that movie, but it showed how like she missed one subway train, her life turned out this way. If she had gotten on the other train, her life turned out this way. And I almost equate this book to that. Like you need to understand how the pieces of your lives fit together. You need to understand the puzzle that is you for your life to play out for your purpose. Cause we're all here for a purpose. We're all here for a unique purpose. And either we're going to take a really windy road to get to that purpose, or we will need a wake up call to get to that purpose. Or, you know, we can get it and accept it and have acceptance of who we are and then put the things in motion to make us the best version of ourselves. And that to me is ultimately the most powerful tool. And it's more powerful than any supplement by itself or any diet by itself or any retreat that you go off and do for three weeks. I mean, that is the most powerful information is to understand you and the puzzle of you and to be able to put that together. And that's what I get asked day in and day out. It's like, I need a map. 
I need a roadmap. You know, I need someone to put the puzzle together. I don't get this. You know, I've been to 20 places. I don't understand this. And that's what, that's what people are hungering for, quite honestly. It can be a real challenge. I have visited just about every obscure type of healer that I can find, partly because I'm just interested and partly because I used to have a lot of weird health problems that are now, the vast majority of them are solved. And I'm like, how do I, how do I live past 180 is, is the new challenge versus how do I just feel good most of the time? And some of that did come down to, to knowing my weaknesses. But I remember I went to a very unusual style of, of acupuncturist and he said, oh, well, based on you know your fingertips and some other things, you need to eat more black chickens. I know black male chickens. I'm like, <laughs> I just don't know how to integrate this. Like that's just too far out there. But he also told me to eat a lot of gluten. I'm like, well, I'm probably just going to skip this one. Plus, I have no idea where to buy a black male chicken or cock. I guess they would call it because rooster, or whatever. So it it can be overwhelming if you're a person who doesn't do biohacking or you're not a doctor and you go to this person who says this and this person who says something that's eighty percent the same and you you just don't know. So that that creates a sense of uncertainty and a sense of really of anxiety. And you say, well, I'll try this. And then something else happens. And you end up on this kind of treadmill where you spend a lot of money and time uh, because there isn't a framework for it. So if if there's a framework that lets you shortcut some of that and at least start somewhere rather than just starting at a random thing, you know, someone told me this was neat. I thought I would try it. I love the way you put together a a questionnaire to just say, all right, let's let's put together all these different constitutions and body types and yin and yang and all that into some behavior patterns. So at least you you know you you put a a thumbtack and a roadmap and say, all right, start here. Here's the direction you might want to head. So that's actually really valuable and very unusual. So that was why I wanted to have you on the show because I don't think most listeners have heard of this kind of an approach. Thank you, and I know it's. For me, it's not abstract, right? Because I do this day in and day out and I can see it so clearly. But I can tell you this book was incredibly painful to write. It was so hard and so difficult because I have it all up here, right? It's all locked Mm -hmm. up here. But to then get it out and to explain it and then to do it in a very simple way where everyone could latch onto it, it was a tough write, definitely. You know, and I had spreadsheets and I had charts and I had all this other stuff on the wall and then we try to boil it down more. So I, I get that it's, different and unique and, you know, something that a lot of people aren't used to hearing, but I really, truly believe there is so much power in it and so much magic in it. And if you at least use the book to understand yourself, whether you do the plan or don't do the plan, at least use it to understand yourself, because as you're saying, it begins that journey back to you. And then that leads to amazing possibilities. And I've seen that in my life. I know you've seen it in yours. And, you know, that's really why we're all here. So I mean, I think that's such a, I think we have personal, you know, again, I go back to me being disconnected, not paying attention to my health. That was a failure on my part. I, it is my personal responsibility to guard who I am to be able to, to kind of do what I need to do while I'm here. Is there one type, uh, one power type from your book that has the, the hardest time putting the oxygen mask on first? That that idea that you got to take care of yourself so you can do what you're here to do. What's the type that has the worst problem with that? The worst would be a toss up between the earth mamas and the nightingales. So, and I'd probably still choose the earth mamas. I think they're just big nurturers and they will not observe their self-care boundaries and they won't observe, they won't be, again, they're so disconnected in a, in a very different way. They're too worried about 
everyone right around them that they'll start to go downhill and even ignore that. You know, they'll ignore like the subtle signs of fatigue or maybe brain fog. They'll ignore the weight gain. Then they'll ignore the ones like for my blood pressure's going up, you know, and then all of a sudden they get their wake up calls that they have to change something. And not everybody gets a fair wake up call, right? Sometimes it's a diagnosis that's really tough to deal with. So I think they have the hardest time. The nightingales, again, if you read the description about the nightingales, I mean, they're equally selfless, but again, they have that world stage or world purpose or mission type mindset where, you know, they, they won't take care of themselves because they're trying to do something for a bigger purpose. It's not necessarily so family focused or individual, you know, or community focused. They have a tough time too taking care of themselves. They do a little bit of a better job than a nightingale, but oftentimes they only start to do a better job when they get their wake up call, which is usually getting sick all the time, you know, getting joint pain, some of those type of symptoms. So so I think those are the two I would say that really have the toughest time with that. Very cool uh, <laughs> to just check in with it because it's something that I, I see quite often with some of the high performance uh, women entrepreneurs I work with where it's like, seriously, <laughs> you have to sleep sometimes. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, you know, your company and your family, they, they suffer as well. And so I, I think it's cool that you wrote that out. After you put all of this together, got your thoughts down in the book, um, do you think we all have superpowers or do some of us have more than others? I think we all have them. We just have to tap into them, you know, and that's again, tongue in cheek a little bit with the title, you know, yeah. with my daughter and I like, you know, you're a superwoman, And I hear that every day. You must be some sort of superwoman. And I'm like, okay, I'm significantly older. I'm about 20 years older than when I was going in the ER and had my health crisis and all of that. But I feel amazing and I feel like I have more energy today than I did back then. Yeah. So it's not so much about you're gifted with a superpower and you're not. It's more you don't understand what your body needs and you do. And that's really the difference between me being 26 and me now being almost 46. You know, it's, it's the complete uh, difference there. I mean, I feel so much better and my energy is natural. It's not coming from sugar or caffeine or anything else. It's just this natural enthusiasm for what I do and for the people I'm going to meet and for the day I'm going to have and for the family that I've already built. So I want everyone to have that. Like, why can't everybody have the same feeling? Like, why can't they jump out of the bed and have this natural energy and then go forth into the world and, and create whatever they're supposed to do? And I think we have all been gifted with superpowers. We just get so disconnected and so far removed from them that we end up being kind of the shadow version of that. We be the, the opposite, the villain or the person that, that can't do anything or can't function, you know? So I never think of myself as a superwoman, but I, I can see why people might say that. But I also remind everyone out there that there is yet a woman I have met today. And remember, I'm about 12,000 women in, not including like friends and family and neighbors and all that other stuff. I'm about 12,000 women in. I have not met a woman who is not a superwoman. Not yet. They all are accomplishing and striving to do amazing things within their orb, whatever that is. It could be having to take care of an autistic child. It could be having to take care of an ailing husband or mother or grandmother. It could be trying to pass a legislative initiative, you know, in the Senate, whatever it is. I have not met a woman who doesn't function like a superwoman. And so if we all have this amazing capacity, but we're going to burn it out too quickly so that we're then going to be depressed and anxious and stay home and not want to be out in public and not want to do the things we're supposed to do, then again, we do a disservice to each other. So Everyone is a superwoman. Every woman is a superwoman. They, again, just need to understand 
how they need a manual, right? They need like, just like a car has a manual. They need a manual to understand how to take care of themselves, not just right now, but 10 years from now, 20 years from now, as they are aging, you know, at any given stage of their life. Uh, Very well said. Now, if someone came to you tomorrow, a man or woman, and said, look, based on all the stuff that you know, all the stuff you've done, I want to perform better as a human being at everything I do. What are the three most important pieces of advice you'd have for me? What would you say? So I think the number one thing I would tell everyone, the most important thing to performance is to rest. So find that time to be quiet, to be still daily, find it weekly, find it quarterly, find it yearly. I mean, it has to be a rhythm of rest because that puts you in a state where you're able to receive whatever it is that you're supposed to do next. So that could be 10 minutes of mindfulness every morning, it could be a 10 minute walk out in nature, but find time to be quiet and to rest. That's the number one most important thing. I think the second thing is to watch what goes in you, right? I mean, everything from the food we eat to the water we drink to the environment that we live in, I think all of that is influential in terms of affecting how our brain works, how our muscles work, how the rest of our body works, how we work emotionally. So I think that concept of rest, I think the concept of really paying attention to food, water, and environment. And then I think lastly is connection. If you want to be a good human being, if you want to be the best human being that you can be, you have to be connected and you have to be connected to other human beings. None of us were meant to be alone on a ship doing what we were supposed to do. And that's where I think we have so much mental health issues today than, you know, more so in any other time, we are meant to be connected. So find a way to be connected. You know, not only do you need to be connected to yourself, but you need to be connected to others. And you also need to be connected to your own spirituality and your own soul. Because I think when all of those things are offline, no matter what you do in terms of exercise or supplements or hacking and biohacking and all, hormone replacement, all the other things that people do, they're going to have very limited results. So I, I would say those are the three, the three key pieces. Uh, beautiful. Thank you for sharing them. Where can people find out more about your work and your new book, Superwoman Rx? Sure. So, you know, there's so many different ways to connect with me. Definitely my website, drtaz.com. They can take the quiz online if they'd like to and find their type and they can purchase the book there as well. And then we have uh, my blog there as well with all kinds of resources and information. And then I'm on social media. I'm on Instagram, drtazmd, and I'm on Facebook, drtazmd, my centers. If you want to be a patient, it's Center Spring MD. Beautiful. Thanks for being on Bulletproof Radio, Dr. Taz. Thank you for having me. This has been fun. If you like today's episode, you know what to do. Head on over to your favorite place to buy books and pick up a copy of Superwoman Rx if you'd like to read it, or maybe get it for a woman you care about. And while you're at it, after you read it, head on over to Amazon and leave a review because authors like me, authors like Dr. Taz actually really care. We notice that and we read those reviews. So if our books that we've put thousands of hours into make a difference in your life and you take about 10 seconds to tell us, well, that makes us happy. So thank you for taking the time to do that for Dr. Taz and for me, if you're so inclined. See you on the next episode.
A human upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.